I'm going to ask Brian, won't you come and read the passage of scripture for us this morning? My husband. I'm the husband. Good morning. If you don't know us, I'm Brian. This is Caitlin. And before I read the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, it is Mother's Day. And there is a special lady in this house who has been a mother to many. Uh, Some of you, she's played a motherly role in your life, uh, even though she is younger than you. Some of you, she's walked a journey as a spiritual mom. Others, she just carries the motherly heart and love and uh, care over this church. And I think we would be missing an opportunity this morning if we didn't honor uh, Mary Ellen and just give her a big round of applause as someone who carries the mother heart in, and, uh, in this church and for you as a people. So can we honor and bless Mary Ellen this morning? I have um, had the privilege of getting to know Ellen and Milan over the last little while, uh, you know, as we have journeyed through the years in this community as a church, and then more uh, intimately over the last few months as we've been in your space, and thank you again uh, for letting us meet you in the afternoons, but in the office as well, um, I've been able to have a spot here and, and do daily life with them, and Milan's even played a, a motherly role uh, in my life over a short time. So thank you for the, all the men and women that you that you mother in the body. Can I invite us, if you don't mind, to stand as we read God's word? We're going to open Matthew in chapter three, looking at verse thirteen uh, to seventeen, the baptism of Jesus. We read: Then Jesus came to Galilee from John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John, stopped, but John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you, you come to me. Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, And coming down on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Alan and Mary Ellen, for the wonderful privilege of allowing me to come and to be with your people today. And I remember we shared a lunch maybe two years ago, or... Um, on your veranda, your beautiful veranda, and it was such a gift to us, and we had a wonderful conversation, and perhaps the greatest ministry was that we were able to break bread together and to pray. And the two of you um, really encouraged Brian and I, and we left feeling incredibly loved and incredibly pastored by a couple who have blessed us and this community in the Upper Highway area with just an incredible story of faithfulness and love for Jesus. So thank you. Believing is not enough. Not because believing is unimportant, but rather because in today's context, believing seems to be based on subjective emotions that can be experienced and lost in a moment. And that kind of belief is not enough. It's not enough to bear up under the weight of what it means to be human and to be alive today. It's not enough when faced with the devastating reality of a pandemic that's swept across the globe. It's not enough when you don't know how you're going to make it to the end of the month financially. 
It's not enough when you're faced with a crippling anxiety and a depression that you just can't seem to shake off. It's not enough when faced with the many ways that we mess up and fall short, no matter how earnestly we try. You see, we need something more. You and me, we need something that keeps us and grounds us and roots us so that no matter the trials or the temptations that we may face, we are able to hold our ground and stand firm. And what I'm talking about is the belief that runs so deep in who we are that it changes the very essence and the very nature of who we are, our identity, our purpose, and the mission that we have in life. So to believe is to accept something as genuinely true and real. But now, in this modern era, for so many, nothing is actually objectively true. Nothing is universally genuine or real in an absolute sense. And that's why you and I are called to move beyond a personal subjective belief that can change depending on our emotions. You and I are called instead into a resolute conviction, a robust conviction, a conviction that leads us to be thoroughly convinced, so convinced that something is true that we are compelled, compelled to admit the truth and stand for it regardless of the consequences. And this goes way beyond our fluctuating emotions. And this kind of belief, this kind of conviction that changes our essence is the kind of belief that we need in God and his word. You see, this is the kind of belief that Daniel had. See, he remained faithful in a culture that was hostile and antagonistic towards his belief in God. And then even when he was Standing in front of a den of hungry lions, he did not compromise his belief and his conviction in God. He did not even compromise his practices. This is the kind of belief that Paul had. He was beaten for his faith in Jesus. He was stoned and left for dead, imprisoned and eventually beheaded. And what was his refrain amidst all of this? 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded. I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded. This is the kind of belief that several students at Columbine High School had when guns were pointed at them and they were asked, do you believe in God? It cost them their lives. On the morning of April the 20th, 1999, 16-year-old Cassie Bernal and her friend, Amanda Mayer, uh, handed her friend Amanda Mayer a note that said, honestly, I totally want to live my life completely for God. It's hard and it's scary, but it's totally worth it. And later that day, she was shot to death. Rachel Scott was also amongst those who were killed. One year earlier, she had written in her own personal diary, 
I'm not going to apologize for speaking the name of Jesus. I'm not going to hide the light that God has put in me. If I have to sacrifice everything, I will. And she did. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded. You see, we are called to live lives marked by this declaration. Knowing whom we have believed and remaining persuaded. So much so that we move beyond lightly held suspicions about God, truth and reality. That we are so persuaded by the very person and character of God. The season that we've lived through has been a season of incredible vulnerability and exposure. And the uncertainty that we've faced collectively across the globe has revitalized our joint need to know who we are, why we are here, and what we are called to do. Our desire to live a life that is meaningful and fulfilling has been heightened. Perhaps it was dulled a few years ago, but certainly this season has heightened our need. We want to know that we are loved. We want to know that we are valuable and we are accepted. And amazingly, the answer to all of these longings is found in the truth of who God is. The Father who calls us his own and who is pleased with us. The Son who identifies with us and clothes himself in our own human vulnerability. And the Spirit who descends, who descends upon us and stays, who dwells within us and remains. At the center of the Christian faith is a relationship with the living God, a God who infuses every aspect and area of our lives with meaning. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This passage that's before us today not only confronts us with the objective reality of who he is, the objective reality of his identity, but it also confronts our own hearts with the reality of who we are in him. And it enables us to discover who we truly are. The baptism of Jesus is a wonderful window into the glorious mystery of the Trinity. It's a beautiful picture for us of this divine relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and what he is doing in the world and what this means for us. And as we unpack the scripture today, I want to touch on what we learn about God and his mission that's made clear to us through Jesus' baptism. And then I want to look at what this means for you and I. So firstly, what we see is that all three Divine, distinct persons, members of the Trinity, are present and active at Jesus' baptism, which is very much like a coronation ceremony, a crowning ceremony declaring that he is king. At his baptism, Jesus is expressly identified as the anointed king who has come to establish his kingdom and his rule across the earth. 
Just before we get to this passage in Matthew, we read about uh, John the Baptist. And we're given a portrait of who he is and the ministry that he carried. And he was a man who proclaimed with great courage and conviction and faithfulness that one greater than him would come. That one better than him would come. You see, while John's baptism was a public expression of repentance, it was a mark of repentance of sin, his baptism couldn't change a person's heart. It could not change who they were. But what he does promise is that someone greater would come offering a greater baptism. And his baptism would be so much more powerful because it would have the ability to change the human heart. It would have the ability to make us holy. And John says that the one coming would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now for the ancient ear, and hopefully for us too, this recalls a promise for us, which I want to look at just in two important scriptures. The first is found in Jeremiah 31, verse 33. And here uh, it details this beautiful covenant that God promises to make with his people. God says that I will put my teachings within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. It is incredible. And in the same way, we read in Ezekiel 36, verse 26 to 28, that God promises, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your ancestors. You will be my people. You will be my people and I will be your God. At this moment, Jesus' baptism, we see that Christ, the messianic king, holds the power to transform the human heart in a way that nobody else can. Unlike those who have come before, Jesus comes to make us new through the power of the Holy Spirit that is poured out into us. He is poured out into our hearts that we might be caused by God himself, enabled and empowered by God himself to faithfully love and serve him to declare, you are my God, I am yours. Matthew tells us that when Jesus was baptized, he came, he emerged out of the waters and the heavens opened for him. In Mark's gospel, it says that the heavens were torn open. In Psalm 18, we read of a whole lot of God's attributes. And mostly we read about his strength to contend for his people, to fight for his people. And it says in Psalm 18 that God bent the heavens and came down. In Isaiah 64, Isaiah prays. He prays God in heaven that he would move and that he would come down to save his people. It says, if only you would tear the heavens open and come down. 
If only, God, you would rend open the heavens and step into my reality, into the human condition. And he does. We are faced with a God who tears open the heavens and comes down, breaking into the human experience to save his people. How does he do this? It says in this passage that Jesus saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And then a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. He tore open the heavens and he came. There could be no greater graphic demonstration for us. Jesus' baptism declares that, that the moment had come, the time had come for God to intervene in a profound way in human history and inaugurate and begin and usher in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And then we hear the testimony of God the Father through God the Holy Spirit to God the Son that he is the one who holds the power and the authority to transform the human heart, to move our hearts of stone and instead give us hearts of flesh that are soft and alive and malleable to the power of God. And it's the public testimony of God the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit, that Christ is the Messiah. You see, the the Father speaks directly only twice in the book of Matthew. Firstly, he speaks directly here in this passage at Jesus' baptism. And then the second time he does it is at Christ's transfiguration. And in both occasions, he identifies Jesus as his son. He affirms the deity of Christ. And he expresses his great approval for him. Through Jesus, the crowned king, God will rule with divine authority across the earth. We see this so clearly at this point in Jesus' life and ministry. Do you know whom you have believed? And are you persuaded? Christ, the anointed King. The descent of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit to rest upon Jesus is significant for two reasons. Firstly, it indicates that he is the chosen redeemer, that he is the Messiah. And then secondly, it's an impartation of his identity as the son through the Holy Spirit. And this is an intra-Trinitarian event in which the Spirit bears witness and gives testimony to the love shared between God the Father and God the Son. The Father expresses his great love for Jesus, his beloved Son, and then the Spirit comes and rests upon him and commissions him and sends him out to begin his redemptive mission, his public ministry. And the Spirit empowers him for it. Through his baptism, And by being baptized, Jesus identifies himself with you and I, with humanity. And this pleases God. And following this, following the baptism, we then read that he was led by the Spirit. Again and again, first he was led into the wilderness. And then throughout his ministry, we see so clearly that the Spirit was the one leading Jesus and empowering empowering him for his mission. 
Many scholars call this passage the unction of the Spirit, which is like the balm or the zeal and the fervor of the Holy Spirit poured out upon Jesus to identify him as the Christ and to empower him for what God had called him to do. And Luke tells us that the Spirit was poured out on Jesus in bodily form. And this is to emphasize the fact that it was an objective, visible experience. And it wasn't something subjective. We read that the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus like a dove. And it remained and he remained on him. In this context, the, the dove, the Spirit coming as the dove, is not necessarily only symbolic of peace, but also symbolic as a symbol of a new creation, the beginning of a new era. And so Jesus himself experiences a spirit-imparted new creation sonship to a depth that fundamentally changed at this moment. You see, when, when, when the, the heavens were torn open, Jesus heard the Father declare. And so Jesus received his identity as the Son. And he, the Spirit fell on him and he empowered Jesus as this new creation era, this new kingdom carrier to do something different. And to the Jews, a dove would also have symbolized the sin offering, which was a substitute for the lamb. And so Jesus is God's own lamb, come as a sin offering for you and I. And a dove was a sin offering often given by the poor, the needy, and the sinful of this world. And that's you and me. We are the poor, the sinful, and the needy. And Jesus comes as our sin offering. And this is why all four Gospels consider the baptism of Jesus as a decisive moment. A decisive moment, not only in his ministry and in his, in his life, but in all of history. Because it signals to us Jesus' installation as the king. He is crowned as the son of God. The one who has come to save. Do you know whom you have believed? And are you persuaded? So much so that it moves beyond fluctuating emotions and stands firm. So what does Jesus' baptism mean for you and me? Well, firstly, it means that we serve and we get to love a God who both bends and tears open the heavens to intervene in human history. We serve a God when faced with the problem of brokenness, when faced with the problem of evil and the ongoing corruption of the human heart, doesn't just send us some nice suggestions and a checklist of what we can do to deal with the problem, but actually himself tears open the heavens and steps down and intervenes. He sends himself. He sends the Son, the Lamb of God, the offering upon which every single consequence of sin is to be poured out. And the Spirit, like a dove, 
rests on him. Jesus, our sin offering, given for the poor in spirit, for those who are in great need, the destitute, given for you and me. God has torn open the heavens to change our lives that we might be brought into loving union and relationship with him. And that leads me to my second point is that we are invited to share in Jesus's baptism. A baptism that is so much more than just repentance of sin. It is a baptism that actually marks a new beginning as well as a death. A death to our sinful nature and a rebirth. A rebirth which establishes us as the new creation of Christ. You see, in Jesus we receive a new creation identity. A new era identity. And this is so much more radical than we could ever begin to imagine. You see, it's not just a new set of beliefs, a new set of practices, or a new set of lightly held preferences based on our emotions of the day. No, our baptism in Jesus is both our tomb and our womb. It's a funeral, a death to our sinful self. It's a death to our sinful nature. We sang about it in worship. We sang about it that the sin has no hold on, on Jesus and it has no hold on those who are in Christ. And that which is declared dead is buried forever. And then it's also where we are reborn and we are made new through Jesus. We are made into the new creation, beginning with Christ himself. And as we emerge in him, we are renamed by the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is also our coronation ceremony where we are named Beloved Son. And this immediately becomes the most defining thing about us. The most important thing about us is that we are called sons of God. And we are loved by him. And we please him because of Jesus. And then the third thing that we see is that we are also to wait for the descent of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus after he identified with humanity, after he identified with humankind by being baptized. And he really, he truly took his place amongst us as a man. And so what happened to Jesus was necessary. When the Spirit came upon him at his baptism, it was necessary for him so that he would be empowered to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet this did not diminish for one second his deity, the fact that he is God the Son. You see, he's able in one moment to hold the full complement of what it means to be human, while at the very same time being able to hold the full complement of what it means to be God. And these two do not interfere with each other. But as a man, Jesus needed to be empowered by the Spirit for the things that God had called him to do. And Jesus didn't begin his earthly ministry until the Father sent the Spirit. 
And in the same way, Jesus commanded his disciples to wait for the Spirit, to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon them before they began their ministry, after he had ascended. And we too should wait for the Spirit to be poured out upon us. The Spirit not only identifies us as sons in Jesus, but he also empowers us to do the things that God has called us to do as his people. The Spirit empowers us to declare, you are my God. We are your people. He leads us just like he led Jesus. We are called to enter into a life that is uh, dominated by this baptism into the Holy Spirit. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes on us, he gives us our identity as sons and he empowers us for God's mission. As we read earlier in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, it's the Holy Spirit who comes and changes our hearts that we might live in the reality that has been established for us in Jesus, that we have been made new, that we are different in him. It is the unction of the Spirit, the balm of the Holy Spirit, the zeal and the passion of the Holy Spirit poured out onto us and into us that helps us live as image bearers of God that witness to the fact that he is glorious and he is beautiful and all of history comes to an end in him. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we can say, I know who I, whom I have believed. I know in whom I have believed God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, and I am persuaded. It's the Holy Spirit that keeps us and grounds us and holds us and keeps us standing firm so that we do not move no matter what comes our way. Again and again in the scriptures, we see God declare something. He speaks and it is so. And this is what happens at the baptism of Jesus. And this is what happens when we are reborn in him and empowered by the Spirit. With a new identity to live differently. To live like someone who mirrors the conviction and the faith of Paul and Daniel. And those young students who were able to say, yes, I love and believe in God. No matter what it costs. Do you know whom you have believed and are you persuaded? In the immediate aftermath of the coronavirus, the social upheaval that we have faced, the reconsideration of how we have built society as people, the uncertain global economy and our own individual financial futures, as we consider the fragility of what it means to be human, to be so susceptible to life millions and millions and millions of people have begun to re-examine who they are and what they are doing and what they are giving their lives to and actually what's truly important at the end of the day and when we faced with this passage this most remarkable event where we see the trinity at work we have a golden opportunity golden opportunity to move from loosely held beliefs that chop and change into a robust conviction that is persuaded 
persuaded about the God of the Bible, the God who stretches across all of history, that stretches across all of eternity, and then who we are in him. We have this golden opportunity to see the God that we get to love and serve and who we are in him and how this just changes absolutely everything, our identity, our purpose, and our mission in life. When we begin to wrestle with a passage like this, we can become people that are marked by conviction, compelled to stand for the truth regardless of its consequences. We can become people that can stand and declare, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded. And he is the one. He is the one that enables me to do this and to say this and to stand firm. 1 John 4 verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. So the call when we faced with this passage is for us to receive the Holy Spirit that we might be named as sons and released into our own missional mandate that we might be part of ushering in God's kingdom, his rule here on earth as it is in heaven so that we may be part of seeing it come into all of its fullness as God had planned for all of time and history on earth as it is in heaven. I want to invite you to stand. Just because we get to stand before this God of the ages. Now as I was praying last night for this service. Felt God remind me that today is Mother's Day. A day when we get to celebrate birth. The ushering in of life. And actually, that's what we get to do when we read and consider of Jesus' baptism. That God declares who we are, and it is so. That God has declared that we are his children in Jesus, by the Spirit, and it is so. He says that he is with us, and he is. He says that he empowers us through his spirit. And we are. R.A. Tory says that I can think of no thought more humbling or more overwhelming than the thought that a person of divine majesty and glory dwells in my heart and is ready to use even me. So Father, I want to thank you so much that Christ is the crowned king. That he is the son in whom you are so well pleased. And I want to thank you that his baptism has so many consequences for us. That in Jesus we are invited both to a death to self and a rebirth in who he is. And so firstly I want to thank you father. That the grave has no hold on us. That sin has no hold on us. Because of the Lamb of God, the one in whom you were pleased, Jesus the Christ to absorb the wrath of sin for me, for us. The sin offering of the poor and the needy and the destitute. 
And I want to thank you, Father, that in him we have new life. And I want to ask God that today would be a prophetic picture for us on Mother's Day, that you give birth to sons who are able to rise up and say, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord and they will be my people. I will be their God because they will return to me with all of their hearts. Holy Spirit, won't you fall upon us anew today? Come and rest upon us, dwell with us and remain with us and empower us to live into the fullness of our identity in Jesus. Sons of God, come and strengthen us that we might return to the Lord with all of our hearts. And maybe for some of us we have wondered and we have taken our eyes off God. And today is the day for us to come back to our Father and to look full in His wonderful face and to remember who He is and who we are in Him. Today is a day, it's a new day, and we get to return to Him with all of our hearts. I think of that beautiful liturgy that says, rend your hearts and not your garments and come to the Lord. So, Father, we give you our hearts and we ask that we would be marked and set apart as your people. And we declare that you are God. You are the king. We get to be a part of establishing your rule and your reign here on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you that you would use even me to do this. Empowered by your spirit. I will give them a heart to know me. That I am the Lord. They will be my people. And I will be their God. Amen.